Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I pastor at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. So glad you're with us today as we begin the book of Revelation, three lessons on the book of Revelation that will close out 2023's overview of the New Testament. As I followed along the schedule that is produced by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I've been giving you thoughts all along the way from a Bible church pastor's perspective. Uh, actually started in January of 2022 with the Old Testament in Genesis. Now we've arrived at the final book of the New Testament, Revelation. Wow, what a ride. What a ride it's been. And I'm excited to close with these lessons because I love the book of Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation is a particularly sweet book. Now, a lot of people that you talk to, of course, will say Revelation is scary, it's uh, incomprehensible, it uh, you know, is something that a lot of people just avoid. I know, just my own personal experience, as a new Christian, when I became a Christian at the age of 16, that I did not want to touch the book of Revelation with a 10-foot pole. It just was not something I wanted to do because I knew that there were debates about what Revelation really meant, and uh, I knew that I probably wasn't going to be able to understand as a new Christian. However, that is not necessarily the case. Now, I will say, of course, I will acknowledge, it is good to go into the book of Revelation with some special trepidation, some special reverence, and to be equipped with good tools, uh, especially local church tools, that you are a part of a local church with a good Bible teaching uh, group of pastors, ideally, who are able to walk you through that and give you some mentoring and discipleship as you study the book of Revelation. I think that is very good. Um, and I would say, on the other hand, though, uh, don't be so trepidatious about it that you ignore the book altogether as I did. So you may hear me, you know, give those warnings and say, yeah, I, it, it's better just to avoid it. It's not for me. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, I, I want to take you to the opening verses of the book of Revelation. These are verses that should have been pointed out to me as a new Christian, and they weren't. But here I am today to point them out to you. Revelation 1.1, we're going to particularly want to look at verse 3, but I'll start at verse 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Here's verse 3. Listen to this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. What an amazing promise that comes with the book of Revelation. This is a unique promise when it comes to books of the Bible. It's not supremely unique. You can find phrases like this throughout the Bible. But consider this. When it comes to the book of Revelation that so many people are afraid of, it comes with this promise, verse 3, that you will be blessed if you read and hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things written in it, for the time is near. 
So should you avoid this blessing? <laughs> See, when you phrase it that way, it seems a little more nonsensical to sidestep Revelation or run away from the book of Revelation. Because we're promised here that those who hear the words, who heed the promises, the the words of the prophecy, we hear in this opening passage that they will be blessed. So avoiding the book of Revelation is avoiding a blessing that is promised for those who hold to the book of Revelation, who cling to it, who study it, who want to know what it's all about. All right, so I hope that encourages you just from the get-go, as we start talking about Revelation, that you wouldn't be caught up in thinking, ah, oh, this is just about all these shadows and mysterious figures and things that I, I can't wrap my mind around. There may be some of that that you'll struggle with, but we are told by God there's a blessing for those who heed the words. Well, um, the first three chapters are what's in view for this first uh, part of studying Revelation, chapters one through three. Chapter one is amazing, has some amazing detail about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, lots to see in every verse of Revelation, if we're going to be transparent here. Um, but I want to focus on chapters two and three and giving a summary of what's going on in chapters two and three. Because in those two chapters, you have Jesus Christ talking about and to the seven churches. Jesus has seven messages to the seven churches, and uh, it's extremely relevant. There are seven cities that are listed from Ephesus down through uh, Laodicea, and they have different characteristics. They have different struggles. They have different sins and levels of obedience, and uh, they have all these amazing words from Jesus Christ himself to them that are still extremely relevant today. And so as you get into uh, Revelation 2, if you have a Bible that has headings, a, a helpful Bible like the New American Standard 95, that's the translation I most often use, but there are other ones like the NIV or the ESV or even the NLT. Those are good Bibles. Uh, King James Version is all right, uh, but I prefer those other ones and you probably should too, you'll see that it's outlined with these messages to the churches. First is the message to Ephesus, then to Smyrna, then to Pergamum. And at the beginning of each paragraph or each section, it's to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, write this. And on and on it goes. This word for angel is probably best understood as messenger, okay? The representative of each church, because the word in Greek, angelos, it can mean angel, like the spiritual being, the in, invisible, sometimes manifested spiritual beings, but it can also just mean messenger. It's the same word, because that's what those spirit beings are, after all. They are messengers. Well, I think this is best understood as to the messengers of those churches, so those in leadership or those who are considered representatives of the church. Uh, write this, and then so John writes the words of Jesus to the church in Ephesus. Same thing for the church in Smyrna, and for Pergamum, and for Thyatira. And then you go to chapter 3, and there are three more churches, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So that's what's going on in Revelation 2 and 3. I recently have become more 
interested in memorizing some of the details of Jesus's messages, seven messages to the seven churches. And if you know me personally, you know that when I get really interested in something, I make a chart about it. <laughs> I'm a chart maker, uh, not exactly a cartographer. I'm a chartographer, you could say. I like making charts or tables. I like kind of laying things out, conceptualizing things in that form. It really helps me think through things and uh, to memorize them. So that's what I've done with these seven letters to the seven churches. Now, I think what I need to do is change this to this, and then we'll jump over here, and you should be able to see that full screen pretty nicely if you're watching along. And in fact, I can adjust me just a little bit so that I'm not as, I don't know, taking up as much space. Eh, I'm still kind of taking up space. Oh, well. Um, here you go. Here's this chart that I've made. Jesus's uh, messages to the seven churches. So you see on the left side, we've got the churches listed, and uh, you can't see all of them right now. This does, though, print out onto an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper where you can uh, see it better. So uh, see everything all together, just so you know. But there they are, the seven churches, and you have across the top here these different elements that are found in Jesus's message to them. So first we find out about, we'll just take the uh, message to the church at Ephesus, for example. We find out about some attributes of Jesus himself when it comes to his message to each of these churches. Every time he's giving them, oops, didn't mean to do that. He's giving them some information about his attributes. He also encourages each of the churches, even the ones that are doing pretty poorly. <laughs> he still finds some encouragement for them, every single one of the churches. For every one of the churches, except for two, there's rebuke. Then there's admonition for each one of the churches, some instruction as to what they are to do, how they are to think. He gives an ultimatum to the churches. This is directly connected to his rebuke. When he rebukes a church, he says, look, if you don't change, this is what's going to happen. So that happens, or that uh, information is found in his messages to five of the churches. The two that he did not rebuke, of course, did not receive an ultimatum. If you hear a child screaming in the background, it's because the uh, Friday homeschool co-op is meeting. <laughs> and I do not think the child is in any danger. I don't know whose child it is, but, you know, child's, child's, children. Children scream. Uh, and then finally, to each of the churches, each of the seven churches, he gives a promise to the overcomers. And I believe that the overcomers are all true, genuine Christians who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They will overcome by his grace. It's not a special class of Christians. It's not a special group of people other than Christians themselves. The screams are getting louder. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I trust everything's fine out there. I'm uh, going to stay sequestered in my office. So uh, as we're looking at this, hopefully you can watch along. I know a lot of you listen only, but you can hop on over to YouTube or Facebook and you could see the visual of this. Let's just go across uh, the church to Ephesus, how we see each of these uh, six categories revealed in Jesus's message to them. To Ephesus, Jesus says that he is the one who holds his people in his right hand. There's an attribute, a characteristic, an action of Jesus himself. 
his encouragement to them. He says he knows of their toil, their perseverance, and their discernment. Particularly, they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans are a group that come up multiple times in these messages to the churches. They were a pretty prominent or influential group in the first century church, it appears. They were those who were licentious, uh, meaning they abused grace. They uh, were those who would say something we should, like, we should continue in sin, that grace may abound, something that Paul directly counters in Romans 6.1. They uh, were a religious bunch in formalities, but not in the heart. They weren't truly converted in the heart. Well, even though uh, he holds them in his hand, this church at Ephesus, and even though he has this encouragement for them, he still rebukes them, and he gives them this one element of rebuke, that though they were toiling, persevering, and exercising discernment, they left their first love. Jesus says that this church left her first love. What, what a very tragic thing to hear from Jesus. And if I can uh, swing this here, I will um, bring us back over to Ephesians chapter 2, not Ephesians 2, Revelation 2, that talks about the church of the Ephesians, where he says this. So look at verse 2, where he says, I know your deeds and toil and perseverance. That's his encouragement. They cannot tolerate evil men. There's their discernment. They put to test those who call themselves apostles, but they are not. Okay? They hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. You see that down here in verse 6. But look at what he says. I have this against you, verse 4, that you have left your first love. So lots of positive going on, but in the middle of this encouragement, there's this rebuke. They have left their first love. Well, what could this mean? Uh, Since, after all, they were working for the Lord, striving for Him, persevering for Him, exercising discernment for Him, how could it be that they left their first love? Well, don't you know that it's possible to have the outward appearance of godliness without having it truly in your heart? It's possible to start going through the motions. It's possible to fall in love with fighting for the faith rather than becoming more and more enamored by the person and work of Christ himself. That it can be, uh, you know, really exciting to engage in theological debate or really exciting to do a service project. And the whole time you're enjoying that activity more than you're enjoying the reason for that activity, which is loving the Lord your God. It seems as though that's what's going on in Ephesus. They have left their first love. They had become essentially cold-hearted, theological eggheads. (laughs) It was very good what they were doing in their perseverance and in their discernment. But it was not good that they were doing it with a cold heart and that they had perhaps uh, lost love not only for the person of Christ, but for their fellow men and that their debates were more like conquering enemies than they were persuading people who needed to be converted and to be changed by the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. 
I think that's what's going on. So let's uh, jump here, and I'll bring up that Revelation chart again so we can finish out what Jesus says to the church at Ephesus. Um, he gives them, then, this admonition. Because they had left their first love, they were to remember, repent, and go back and do the first works again. So they weren't so far gone. They were able to come back to the Lord if they would remember what they were called to do, if they would repent of their hardness of heart, if they would do those first works again, they would be restored. And his ultimatum is that if they don't do this, he's going to come to them and take away their lampstand. And what that means is their influence. Even the existence of that local church, he would remove their influence, their presence, their light, because they're doing it in an unworthy way. They're going on in an unworthy way. They are engaging in the Christian life in a way that's set apart from the heart of the Christian life, which is love for Jesus. That's his ultimatum. But to those who overcome, he gives this promise. And again, I believe this is all true Christians. They will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. What an amazing hope. What an amazing promise to hang on to, to hit yourself to, that all those whom God saves will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. What a day, glorious day that will be. So uh, that's what this chart exists for, is to help you see the big picture of what God, particularly God the Son, Jesus Christ, is saying to the seven churches in Revelation. Now, you'll notice on the side here where I have their locations listed, Ephesus, Smyrna, etc., that I have these words that I've thrown in, these adjectives, as uh, basically what their Achilles heel is in the situation, what their big error is. For Ephesus, they were loveless, as Jesus said. Uh, for Smyrna, we'll see in just a moment, they were obedient. Pergamum and Thyatira, though, were permissive or tolerant in ways that they, they shouldn't be. They were tolerating actions and doctrines that they shouldn't have. Sardis and Laodicea were apathetic. Laodicea, of course, is that church where Jesus famously said, I'll spew you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold. And Philadelphia, like Smyrna, was an obedient church. And that's why those two churches have this yellow that goes across their road. I kind of highlight them as being different from the rest. They received no rebuke and no ultimatum. They were only encouraged and promised, okay? So let's uh, look at the church of Smyrna and see what Jesus had to say to them and how that differs from what he said to the uh, church in Ephesus. To the church in Smyrna, it's a pretty short message. It was written, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Cool. 
great message. Can you imagine if Orchard Hills Bible Church got that message from Jesus? That's the goal, is uh, that we'd be an obedient church of whom Jesus approves. Well, let's uh, consider these six elements that are found in the messages to all the churches as they are found to, uh, or the, as they are given to Smyrna. We find out about Jesus, that he is the first and the last who was dead but has come to life. So he was dead but has come to life. That's obviously well known to the church. That's well known to all Christians. That's the basis of the gospel, that Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again. But he's also the first and the last, it says. Revelation also gives us that phrase that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. You can find that in chapter 1. He is beginning to end comprehensive, sweeping. He is it. Jesus is eternal God. He is uh, the one who spans it all because he is God himself. His encouragement to them is that he knew of their sufferings, and even though they were physically poor, they were spiritually rich. He says to them, "I, I know that you're poor, and then it's in parentheses, but you are rich. They have spiritual wealth because they are not only believers in the Lord Jesus, but they are committed disciples of the Lord Jesus. He doesn't rebuke them, of course, but he does still admonish them. He gives them a way of thinking. He gives them a view that they are to have. He instructs them, saying, do not fear the sufferings that are coming. There's prison, he says, that Satan's about to throw some of them into prison. That's wild and that there's a 10-day tribulation in their future. But regardless of that, they are not to fear. They are to be faithful until death. Wow. He gives them no ultimatum because there is no rebuke. They are not called to repent. You'll notice with the five churches that were disobedient, repent is found as an admonition for all of them. Repent, 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 repent. Was that five? Uh, But to the two churches that were obedient, there's no rebuke, and therefore there's no call to repentance, and there's no ultimatum. Yet they all receive a promise. The promise is that they, the believers, will receive the crown of life, and they will not be hurt by the second death. Amazing. Well, this is why uh, one of the reasons why I believe uh, the overcomers and the promises that are made to the overcomers, are promises for all Christians, because no Christian will be hurt by the second death. The second death is only for those who oppose the truth of God, who oppose the gospel. So the promise for all genuine believers is not only to receive the crown of life, but to escape the second death. All right, so there's my chart. I will make that available in a link below on my website. You can pull that up and have it with you as you study through this. Um, If you are looking for a good sermon series that goes through the book of Revelation, I've not preached through it. I've taught through it in uh, an informal way, but it wasn't recorded. Uh, One day I will teach through it in a more formal way and perhaps even preach through it. But if you're looking for a good sermon series, I recommend Tom Pennington of Countryside Bible Church. If you just go to Google and type in Countryside Bible Church uh, Revelation series or Tom Pennington Revelation, you will find it. He's a a pastor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, very faithful uh, expositor of Scripture, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. 
and uh, he does a great job handling the book of Revelation. And so I commend him to you in that sense. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, and uh, I hope that you discover the blessings that God has for you by looking into the book of Revelation, by studying what it has to say, and it all starts with what Jesus says to the seven churches. May you be a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, an overcomer, and a member of a local church that teaches the Word of God and seeks to be obedient like the Church of Smyrna or the Church of Philadelphia. If you need help with any of that, just let me know, and I would love to serve you in that way. Thanks for listening, and God bless.